Hello and welcome and happy Thursday. It's episode number 50 of this show and I feel like we're just getting started. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper and I'm David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening, the show where no one cares, the show where every show's the last show even this one. So let's jump in. We are joined today by sexual health and consent educator, Samantha Biddy. You know, I used to interview her a lot on commercial radio, and we do the regular sexual health and consent topics that are her bread and butter. But I love having her on this show because we go a little deeper. We get to know her and we have a lot more fun. It's exactly why I like this medium. It's the nuggets between takes that I think really shine with Samantha and why I'm so excited to talk to her today and also complain that I found my first gray pubic hair. Hello. Hello. You're smiling. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a small, it's a, it's a thin facade. Are those the right words I'm looking for? A thin facade on top of pain, despair, yeah. just dull annoyance. What's going on with you? Uh, I've So I have an injury. I have a knee injury that is persistent and I can't do any of my activities and it's like not getting better. And so I've just been in like a lot of physical pain. And so that's been hard and um, yeah. Well, you sound fantastic. I couldn't be more happy for you. I'm kidding. That fucking sucks. And I'm sorry to hear all that. Thank you. I just want to play my sports. I don't know if this is the same, It might be just as bad. It probably isn't, but it's serious. I got my first gray pubic hair the other day. Okay. Yeah. We should talk about this because I have a funny. Oh, we're talking about it. I mean, like on the, okay, good. Oh, the episode has started, Samantha. What do you mean? I start taping right away always. And then afterward, if someone's like, oh, that fucked up shit I said at the beginning. Is that in the episode? Of course, I'll cut it for you. But I find the good gems happen before I, quote, start the taping. So I've started. But if you were to say something totally messed up, I'd be like, of course, that's not going to be in the episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I never say anything totally messed up. So there's nothing to worry about. I just, it's, it's a slight breach of trust, (laughs) but it's built on a trustworthy act of, okay, the goal of the breach of trust is to get the good nuggets. It's not to blindside the person with a hit piece because they said something that they thought wasn't taped. Does that make sense? Yeah. I would say side swipe because blindside is ableist. Fair enough. Side swipe. Side swipe. And also as a consent educator, um, (laughs) You're unhappy with this. Is it implied consent that? (laughs) No, I just think it's a different, it's a different ballpark. First of all, you know, we both live in one party consent uh, recording jurisdictions. I live in New York. You live in Ontario. Okay. So it's not actually needed. However, I, I I would like to think that you would trust me not to release something that would destroy you. I also don't think you're pretty unlikely to say something like that. Yeah, exactly. As I said before, I never say anything messy. You know, you you always leave the racism, the sexism to when we don't have the microphones on. Exactly that. Exactly that. Um. Okay, so gray pubic hair, your first one. Yeah. I mean, you had a good run. <laughs> Did I, though? <laughs> 37? I got my first gray pubic hairs like seven years, like 30. Wow. But my theory about it is, and there's still only the, like, there's three, there's like three (laughs) ones. And I'm convinced that those were like the first three that came in because I remember getting them and telling my mom, like, mom, like, because obviously I had no sex education. There was no way that I would know that that was something that was going to happen to my body. And I don't know, maybe I was like 11 or something. And I was like, I got hair, like on my private parts. And she was like, like a lot. And I was like, no, there's like three. And she laughed. Like her, her response to that was 
laughter, like, like a reactionary laughter, which I now understand because she was probably like, you know, like full bush, like thinking it's so funny that there would be like three little whatever pubic hairs. So all this to say, family, not the place to get sex ed from, but also <laughs> I think those are my gray, my three grays. I'm like, y'all were the first that came in. Interesting. I don't know where my first came in. Do I... It's like when you kill a, I guess, I don't know if you have cockroaches in your building, but I killed one in the hall the other day, and I'm like, do I leave its corpse for its brothers and sisters, siblings, to, like, know that I made an example out of him, like some Game of Thrones whack shit? Or are they going to see the dead one and then rebel and invade my apartment? So if I pluck the gray hair, are the other ones going to rebel against me? Or do I just, so I leave it, or do I pluck it to set an example? Uh, like, if you come in gray, you're gone. So my YouTube algorithm populated a video for me the other day or last night that was like, why do flies die as soon as they see a dead fly? And I didn't watch it. So I don't know the answer. <laughs> I don't think the same applies to cockroaches. So just as a little aside, but um, why do you need to pluck it? Like, what is the, like, what would be the motive? <sighs> is it because you're like a young girlfriend and you're like, oh, I don't want her to know that I have like an aging dick or like what? <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to conceal my aged dick. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I'm fine with getting the salt and pepper. I used to pluck them off my head and then eventually you lose the arms race. And then I started plucking them out of my beard and you lose that arms race. And I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's to preserve, preserve my pelvic youth. I don't know. Uh, I guess I don't actually care. But it, it, I feel like this is the first time where I've really, at least bodily, felt old. I don't know. Because people go gray on the face and the hair young. Mm -hmm. The other day I was at a wedding and this person, she must have been in her early 20s. And she had a gray streak. Maybe it was dyed. I don't know. And I'm like, gray looks great on young people. But I don't know. In the pelvic region, in the pubic region, pubic, I feel like... Yeah, you don't go gray young down there. I don't actually know. You probably do. I don't know. But I feel like it's the last bastion of my youth gone. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. What am I? 37, 40s on the corner? Mm-hmm. Around the corner. And then it's 50. And then you're dead. Is that how age works? I don't know. I mean, I don't even think we're going to get that much time. Given <laughs> You don't think I'll make it to 50? <laughs> Well, just like with everything going on, I'm like, mm, I don't know. I'm not planning for it. So, yeah, but they used to teach boomers when they were in school to like put their head between their legs and get under the desk if they hear a nuclear bomb. Like it's it's hard to say whether it's all going to end tomorrow or it goes on and we live long lives. So I, I'm not I'm reserving judgment there, I guess. Mm, well, if I lo live long enough to see my whole bush go gray, I will be surprised. I'll be surprised. Um, the other day I'm walking down the street and I hear a cry from a doorway. Help me. I need help. He's not helping me next to a, the smallest old lady in the world. She also she has the thickest accent is this guy that I might cross the street to go to the other side if I saw him coming. Like he was not the most friendly looking guy and he's helping her and he's like listen lady i'm right here i got you she's like you're making me nervous and she calls and then i end up helping her on one side and this guy miles is his name ends up helping her on the other side and we helped her walk one block which took 30 minutes and she was hunched over and she was a million but she was going to the grocery store and she lived alone and she was it didn't have an assistant it wasn't an assisted living or anything like that mm-hmm and it, it gives me hope that I could be in an obnoxious New Yorker yelling at young men to carry me, no matter how they look. And then as she was walking down the street, she went from being abusive, being like, you're not holding me properly, to being like, you boys are so handsome. And she would like <laughs> tell strangers, look, I roped in two handsome boys. <laughs> and the fact that I was so annoyed because I had somewhere to be even just added to it. I'm like, I'm so happy I'm in New York. I'm annoyed. She's amazing. It was a wonderful interaction that was also awful and annoying. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. You just, I, it was the thick Queens accent that I think really sold it. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I guess I tell you this long story to say that one can age gracefully, although she was the least graceful person alive. There was something graceful about that. 
Right. Like she was really embracing her role as a senior citizen and being like, y'all better help me. Yeah. And do it in the way that I want. And I've lived this long and let me get my apples and bananas. Like, well, first I said, what do you want at the store? Maybe I can grab it for you. I was going to maybe pick her up a sandwich. I would have given it to her for free. I'm a nice boy. She's like, well, I want a bacon. I want an egg and cheese sandwich. I'm like, I can get that for you. She's like, I want to browse. <laughs> Yeah. I just love that she's she was old, she had mobility problems, and it was everyone else's problem, not hers. And I love that she made it everyone's problem because at the end of the day, we're all in it together. Yeah, I mean, I I believe in collectivism and all of that. So I I too am uh I don't even think of it as being like a good Samaritan. I'm like, if somebody needs help, I'm I'm just like aware yeah. of it and I help them, whether that's like helping someone who's like elderly or like has mobility issues cross the street, or if it's like bringing my bat downstairs because I heard like a girl scream. Like all of those all all of that exists in the same realm for me of like, I'm part of a community. And if I'm the person who has the resources to like fulfill the community need, then I'm that person. I love that you rush downstairs with a bat when you hear a scream. That gives me, I don't know, like- it, If I hear a woman scream, yes. Yes, sure. Yeah. I, I, it shouldn't, this is probably the wrong reaction, but it warms my heart that you do that. Yeah, which I, I to me, it's like, what choice do I have? You know, like I don't call cops, so- like if I hear, I mean, if I went downstairs for every scream, I would be downstairs all damn day. But if I hear, yeah, if I hear a lady scream, like I take my bat and I go downstairs. What's up with a bat? Anyway, I'm certain this person who I helped has not a one pubic hair that isn't gray. <laughs> and she had the, she had no dignity at all the way she spoke to people. But in that lack of dignity in the traditional sense, she had all the dignity in the world. So maybe I should just be like her. Yeah, embrace your gray pube. I actually wonder if all pubes go gray, right? Like, I feel like graying is so genetic and it has to do with like melanin and like all those, you know, and like there's people who never go gray and there's people who are gray at 22. So I know that my mom on her head, I don't know about her <laughs> nethers, but like she went gray at like 30. Um, and so for me to get like a couple gray hairs at like 30 on my head, as well as my junk, I'm like, okay, like this tracks, I actually really like gray hair. Um, and also I get like a ton of Botox. So it's like, we all have our little things about aging where we're like, okay, I need to intervene. Like I'm intervening. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I'm on Propecia. You know, what are you going to do? Is that balding? Balding. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned you haven't seen your mom's nether region, but did you grow up in a naked home? Because I grew up in a naked home. Not at all. There was no nudity. Like that was always behind closed doors, never caught a, a glimpse. And if you did, it was a huge accident and, and there'd be embarrassment to be had. Yeah, I think like as as like a small, small, small child, um, I remember like having like a shower with my mom, you know what I mean? Like her just like economically being like, all right, let's both get in here. We got shit to do, but like not at all. No. Wow. My mom to this day walks around topless, whether her bedroom doors open or closed, doesn't matter. My dad's walking around naked. We always would fits my dad and I, like whenever we could take a sauna, you know, go to a place with a, a steam, all that kind of stuff. We were just a naked home. I don't know. Uh, and I, and then I, my mom would bathe topless in the backyard. A sunbathe. Uh, not, not, not bath. She wouldn't get a bathtub in the backyard. That'd be kind of weird, actually. No, a backyard bathtub sounds so nice. Actually, it does. <laughs> yeah, if I had a backyard, I would have a backyard bathtub. And I sure. thought that was normal until I was, I don't know, 12, 13, 14. I started, you know, my friends would come over and they'd want it. My mom's hot. My friends would want to. <laughs> grab a glimpse at her and I'd be upset and I'd be like, don't you have your own moms to stare at? And they're like, <laughs> 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 and so, yeah, I just, um, I guess they didn't have their own moms to stare at. Not everyone has a naked home. Yeah, no, I actually, I knew a couple naked home people for sure. Like, as, again, like once you become aware of that sort of thing um, and you start becoming aware that other people's households don't operate the same ways yours does. You know, like I came from a divorced family, like when I was very, very young, my parents split up. 
They were never like romantic with each other in front of me when I was growing up. So like, I have no, I have no conception of like what partnered parents like looked like or anything like that. So, but again, I didn't know, like, I didn't know that that was, I don't want to say it was abnormal. It was just what my family was, but it's like, it wasn't how other people's families were. And yeah, at that same kind of like 10, 11, 12, you start to notice it's like, oh yeah, like I, other people had, you know, naked type families. My stepmother though, she was kind of like in that second wave feminist white woman kind of energy where she was just like, you know, like liberate the like titties kind of thing. Um, so I definitely saw her titties, but it just, I don't know. By that point, I was just like, who's this woman in my house? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Stepmom energy. You know what I'm saying? Like, who's this bitch? Like, what are we doing here? You know? So, yeah. It's interesting. So you discovered your friends have naked homes. Are you are you creeping on their on their parents in these naked homes or ne- never? No, no. I maybe it was a teenage boy thing. <laughs> I think we all have curiosity about nudity because it's something that's so like protected. Right. Like, I think generally speaking, like out- outside of your own home, it's not like your parents or you would be walking around naked or topless or any of those things, right? There's still an element of like privacy to it, even if it's within your own home. So I think I definitely had the same amount of like nudity curiosity that like any person had, but the same thing is true of like, you know, going to the YMCA and like changing. And there's like, you know, like there's grown adult women who have like fully formed bodies and I didn't because I was like young and being like oh like you know like there was the curiosity but um yeah I never like I don't know it wasn't I don't think I sexualized it in any way household nudity yeah no I didn't either but my friends did and they were always trying to get a glimpse of my mom and I don't think my mom minded to be honest she's just you know happy for the attention (laughs) you were mentioning your stepmom and everything Mm. I was thinking about something. This is sort of on topic, or at least where I wanted to go with this. My parents were in New York two weekends ago. And for the first time in my life, my parents, my dad in particular, said some fucked up shit. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. And uh, he said it to me. I think he's trying to get a rise out of me. Because every time in the past when he's gotten a rise out of me like that, we get in a huge argument and I feel like I've won. But I feel like he, because he riles me up, feels like he won. It doesn't matter. It's a pissing competition with my dad. But for the first time, I just took a look at him and I thought, you guys are 75. I don't want to fight with you. And my response to what he said, which I'll tell you in a bit if you are curious, was, that's an opinion. And then I changed the subject. So and I was happy with how I conducted because I didn't validate what he said. I didn't start with him. Um, I didn't risk a relationship with my aging parents, which I'm seeing more and more as a bad use of time. Mm. You know, it's, it's not that they're perfect. They're not. But it's just like... I don't want to exhaust them. I don't want to exhaust myself. To what end? I'm not going to change them. Right. And and when and when things do come up that are important, I will stand up for myself and those affected. But an offhand comment to me about what's woke, which I don't even think my dad, like any conservative who thinks woke is a boogeyman, can't even define the word. Mm-hmm. But I just said that's an opinion. Change the subject. And so what I wanted to talk to you about is how do you deal with family when they ju- you just have such differing views and you find them problematic? Like, I guess the American stereotype, not that I celebrate it, is at the Thanksgiving table. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with that shit? I imagine some of your family, at least from what you've said to me in private, has, have opinions that you're not fucking crazy about. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, there's a, a bunch of ways, right? Shutting people out, conducting yourself in a manner that you were happy with, fighting with them. I mean, what, 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 do you, what do you like your recommendations to someone who's kind of your age and your kind of peer, I guess, or, or not your peer? Uh, you know, I just don't fuck with my family. Like, I, <laughs> um, I guess I would say that I've been fairly fortunate in that as much as I don't have a close relationship with my immediate or extended family, we tend to err on the side of sharing values about things. And so it's not often that things come up that are like problematic or that I feel like I need to address. Um, I think some of that comes with having like a long standing interracial family where there've been many of the conversations that need to happen. And there's times when I have to like 
collect my dad on something who is like my black parent. There's times less often, actually, surprisingly, uh, where I have to collect like my white mom. But one thing that did come up, and this is so, I feel like this is so quintessential, is that like at Christmas a few years back, and I actually don't go to family holidays anymore. Like I just don't go. Like I'm just like, I will not be present at this incident. Um, (laughs) Incident, that holiday is an incident for you. I love that. My brother's wife's father, whatever that makes him to me, the topic of, and this was years ago, the topic of, um, what's that that problematic Christmas song? The one. Um, oh, the the everyone's favorite Yuletide sexual assault song. Like, I want yeah, you to. Be, it's cold outside. It's cold, cold outside. outside. Yeah. That's so funny to me that, that everyone, like everyone defends it. And I'm like, how can you defend this? Just listen to it and admit to yourself that you're disgusting for liking it. That's it. Yeah. And I mean, it was like the, and this is why I say it was such a like, it's just such a basic bitch fight to have. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> respectfully to, you know, um, and he said it and he was like, oh, I just don't understand what the big deal is. And I just kind of shut it down like really quickly and abruptly. And I was like, well, you know what? Like when you say that you're completely diminishing and disregarding like gender-based violence and what I do for work. And I refuse to argue with you about this. Cause like, I'm actually the person with expertise and he just shut the fuck up and it's never like, you know, I don't, I, I mm, a lot of things. I'm just like, I have a good gauge of what's worth my energy and my time and what I'm willing to like adjust and put forward in the world. Um, with that one, I was just like, not only are you being disrespectful of like me and everyone here, but like, you're also being disrespectful of like the work that I do as my like lived profession, you know? And yeah, he got collected and and that was that. And will you still spend time with him? And you just, you just don't discuss those kinds of topics because you know where it'll lead or. Yeah. I mean, I typically will anytime I'm at a family incident, um, <laughs> which is typically only my niece's birthday. Like that's, and that's actually this weekend. So I'm gearing up to dissociate (laughs) the like children's part. I'm like literally going for the children's part. I'm not going for the adults part. Like the children's part. I bet you there's going to be a fucking pony. There's, they had iguanas last year. I'm like, I'm going for the children's part. I'm going to hold like a bunny and like whatever. And then I'm going to bounce. Like I'm not staying for the like adults barbecue, all that shit. Like never. And you know what? I don't even have to worry about them hearing this because they don't give a shit about what I do. So I'll say if I see a conversation going in a direction where they want to talk about, you know, like even anything, even if they're going to talk about things where I share values with them, I will derail because I'm like, for y'all, this is just like an intellectual exercise for fun. It's like, I live and breathe this shit and I don't want to talk about it in my, you know, forced recreational time. So, and that's how I feel in all situations. Like I, because I do anti-O for work, because I do gender-based violence for work, because I do all these things. If I'm like socializing or I'm like on a date and someone wants to talk about this shit, I'm like, no, like this is my playtime. I don't, this isn't just like fun for me, you know? Yeah. So for you, it's just don't go there. You just kind of set the boundary, derail it out of there because you know that if you go there, you might butt up against someone or it'll be exhausting for you when you're, you're just not trying to be exhausted. Is that, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, it'll just be exhausting for me. Like, I'm just not willing and I just don't care. Um, but again, as I said, I, I do find myself to be fairly fortunate in that we all more or less reside on the side of like, shared values around like human dignity and stuff like that so i i rarely the funniest thing though is like my dad who's like a black man is like he can be like a racism denier like he can be like an anti-black racism denier yeah yeah which is like not uncommon for his generation of like quote-unquote post-colonial like afro-caribbean people who have immigrated like it's like too painful or something for them to like reconcile with the fact that they were like the only black person in their workplace or like that they experienced like marginalization or any of those, like it, he just won't. Yeah. Um, there's a sense of like other that as a tool. And so. And boomers were taught colorblindness was the doctrine of the day, the anti-racist quote unquote doctrine of the day. So like, I get it. And I don't, you know, I don't argue with people who have that view. I just don't agree with them. Yeah. And I mean, for me, it's different, right? Like, because I am mixed race, because I'm 
I'm black in society because my brothers are black in society. Um, when my dad says stuff like that, I'm like, you're also like erasing our lived experience of racism and stuff like that. So I'll be like, when he's like, oh, you know, I never experienced this. I'm like, dad, I like witnessed it with my eyes, like as a child, like I, I witnessed that interaction as a, as a child. And I've been calling out racism since I was like seven years old. So it's like, it's an interesting thing where, um, yeah, there's just layers, layers. And all to answer your question, I try to avoid it at all costs. And that sometimes means I just don't go. A lot of times it means I don't go. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. What do you do when your partner's family is fucked and they're close with the family? You just don't, you just don't go. Same, same thing. I don't partake. I don't partake. And I also, you know, at this point in my life, I'm like, you know, my conception of a relationship escalator has nothing to do with like, integrating with someone's family like i just so happened to integrate with jacob's family and like i truly adore them like they're really lovely humans and like i'm glad that i have those connections and we're able to like maintain a like an appropriate and proportionate relationship but you know my my preference and choice is to not do that i went from i was mama's boy i went from like not understanding a world where you wouldn't do that in my early 20s to now just being exactly on the same page as you. It's just not important to me that, that a partner, no matter how close, no matter how our lives are integrated, integrate with my family. Because my family are fucked. And it, that example of my, with my dad, which I'll tell you because it's actually kind of fun um, with how wrong he is, even if you like break it apart. Is it like really harmful though? Because I don't know if I want to hear something that's like harmful. Not really. We saw a Broadway show. Um, the, it was an R&B and soul musical. Mm-hmm. And he called the cast being diverse a product of woke, of a woke culture. So it's harmful for sure, but it's not like it's not going to cut you to your core, which to me was so funny because soul R&B blues in the United States is black. is black. And it's one of the few arenas, like even during days of segregation where black folks were welcome to be high end performers. Now I understand the white producers, the white music industry was profiting off them, but it was like the one genre where there was visibility in like the forties, fifties, sixties in the U S. So for him to even say that, like, I don't even think a Fox news correspondent would call that show woke because it makes no sense. That's why it was so funny to me uh that's all he said when he said that was woke i'm like that's an opinion and then just dropped it because like why am i going to start shouting at him about the history of blues performers and rock and soul sorry uh, r&b and soul performers in the u.s it's just not worth my time and he's not going to listen you know and also like you know arguing the point of people's white people's conception of diverse is anything that is not white like the white centrism of that yeah being like oh this is diverse and it's like it probably wasn't even diverse. It was probably just like a lot of black folks. And it's like, that's not diverse. Like that's, that's a lot of black folks. Like diverse would be if there was like people in wheelchairs as well as like South Asian folks. So like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's diversity is like such strange word that people have compartmentalized to mean anything that's not white. Yeah. And I just, I really, yeah. I, but the bigger question, David, why would you bring, your your parents did that show like good question i knew nothing about it and i read that it was a good show and when my parents are in new york part of my strategy is i just go to a lot of shows with them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because then i'm it's like i'm spending time with them and i don't have to talk to them <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 harm reduction the harm reduction approach but the other show i took uh was was took them to was like you know more boomer appropriate so uh, it's a good question. I didn't realize that. I just, the idea that that would be a point of view that my father would A, have, B, feel the need to state was like, why would I do that? I didn't realize. Now I know. But before that, I, when I'm evaluating art and what I want to see, that is not even close to on my radar. I did not think of what kind of music is it? What what are the kind of racial undertones of that music? Will will that be represented? What is that going to be like? Like these are not things that are, you know, it's not my work. And so to me, it's just a fantastic show that I heard a lot about with some genres that I like. And I'm like, well, my parents would like that. I to answer your question, I didn't. Naivety is why I didn't think about that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, more was revealed and <laughs> you navigated through that. But yeah, it's it's interesting that and and I don't you know, I don't think you're wrong for for not addressing it because that that can be like a days long argument that goes nowhere, bears no fruit, and just creates tension where, as you said, like for for what? When they were in their 50s, 60s, and I was younger, and I felt it was a good sport arguing with them and winning, I would have gone, I would have taken the bait, for sure. Mm-hmm. But now they're in their mid-70s, they've gone through some stressful stuff the past few years, and I, I empathize with that. It's like, do I really want to get them all worked up over a comment that is just a part of a wider problem that I'm not going to change with my parents. And at this point, I don't even care to. I'll state my opinion if they're, if they like act in a way with me, my friends, my family, I will stick up for my views. But with a comment like that at a dinner with my parents, it's like, I'm, it's the tip of the iceberg and I'm not, the iceberg is, it just seems daunting. And do I really want to exhaust my parents in their mid seventies? Not really. I mean, does that make me a shitty person? Maybe, but that's where I'm at with it. You know, I think, and this is, this is a question I think for a lot of white people, um, the same way it's a question for a lot of like non-trans people and like, whatever it's like, at what point, like, like what, what qualifies as apathy as, you know, silence is violence at like all of those pieces. I, I, and this is just my own personal perspective. I don't think that, I think there's many layers and many factors that come into it about when and where we advocate and how we do that. But in a situation like that, my advice to somebody who's like, you know what? My parents are fucking a hundred years old. They're not going to change. They're like, whatever, whatever. It just becomes a situation of like, well, I don't bring my friends around them who could potentially be harmed by comments and whatever. Cause it's like for you saying, you're like, Oh, it's not like, it's not like a dagger in the heart type comment. You don't actually get to assess that. Right. Because you're not someone who is impacted by it. Somebody who's impacted by it um, could, could feel like for me, I'm like, Oh, like you're just like erasing like an entire legacy of music. Like at the micro level, when that's already done at a systemic and macro level, like, yeah, that's hurtful. Yeah. Like, that's really cool. So it's like, just don't bring, just don't bring quote unquote diverse people <laughs> around your family. Like don't bring your, like black partner to family dinner. You know what I mean? Like that's, those are the types of things that I think that at this stage, white folks can be doing actively to create the conditions for at least less exposure to it. So it's like, you might not be able to change it, but just don't expose us to it. Yeah, I, and I'm completely on the same page. Although I, I feel like I should say stick up for my dad, even though he's his values I don't agree with at all. About 15 years ago, maybe 10, he wanted to go go out with a dinner with my friends. He wanted to meet some of my community with my, my mom. And I'm like, fine, I assemble a dinner with six or seven friends. And I didn't even realize like one of my close buddies is Palestinian, like family expelled, used to live in Ramallah. Uh, last time he tried to go to Palestine, he, he's American. So he thought I'll fly through Tel Aviv, I'll cross in East Jerusalem. Uh, even though he didn't have Palestinian citizenship because his parents were expelled, he was born in Orange County. Um, he, or when his parents emigrated to, uh, Orange County, they lost their, their resident cards or whatever. He goes to Tel Aviv. They say, you're of Palestinian descent. You've, you can't come in the country. You're going to have to enter through Jordan and apply for a residency permit, even though he's American. Like this guy has experienced oppression, like in the immediate sense, his great grandmother was kicked out of her house during the, the Nakba, I believe is what they call it, um, which is ironically the day that Israel celebrates its independence day. This is someone who's been affected by the conflict on a personal level. This isn't just like a, a Jew who happens to be a Zionist, which is my parents, not me at all. And at the dinner, uh, it, as soon as my dad and him were sitting next to each other, I'm like, fuck. And my dad's like, oh, tell me about your family. He's like, I'm Palestinian. My dad didn't say a fucking word. He just was chatting with the guy because they were both into business. They're talking about business stuff, business boys. Um, so I don't know. I just, it's, I feel like when it counts, maybe they're not such shitheads, but when behind closed doors, the micro and macro aggressions are there. So I don't know. They're whole people, I guess, with views that I don't agree with. I feel like I just unloaded this all on you for no good reason. No, I mean, I think that it's like a fruitful conversation and and something to contemplate and that we all kind of have to 
work through these different messy pieces because it is messy. And like, I feel like it's like my gauge or my like conditions around people's internal anti-racism work type stuff. It's like my standards for that are going to be higher because of, of the path that I've taken in my life, what I've experienced, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, my preference is actually for overt racism as opposed to concealed. Yeah, this is why I love the French. Like the Parisians are so fucking racist, but they're as racist as they are to your face. Let me know what I'm dealing with. Yeah. You know, let me make a decision about whether I want to be in this interaction or not. You know, and and those like as someone who lives in Canada who deals with like a lot of cloak and dagger racism and a lot of like cloak and dagger like homophobia and all this. It's like no 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 like if I'm going to meet you and you're problematic, like show, show me immediately, not so that I can like fight you, but so that I can like remove myself from the the incident. Like, I don't, <laughs> I just, you know, and how I felt, how I, how I felt about it three years ago is different than how I feel about it today. And it's going to be different how I feel about it in seven years from now, if I'm still alive, like, it's just, I don't, I, I think that it is an ever evolving and lifetime process my worry for us is that i'm too fucked up for you when you're you're overlooking you know but that's what maybe i my worry for us in our relationship is that like i don't meet your bar like i i'm like i'm too apathetic or i'm too too much of a shithead but maybe this is more about me i'm making it your problem uh maybe i just i look up to you you have higher standards than me and i know i'm more apathetic than you what I will say is that for me, um, I espouse a value system of process over position. Yeah. So someone's position is going to be informed and influenced by all the different factors. We all have messy positions on something. I don't care how how elevated, you know, quote unquote, you are like bell hooks has has messy positions on things that are like not contemporary are harmful are anti-black are sexist like those sorts of things my i'm most interested in people's process so it's like if you've got a messy position and you get checked like somebody's like hey like i want you to think about this differently or i have i have an issue with blank somebody's willingness to explore that with curiosity and and empathy and all of that that to me means so much more than someone who has all the like quote unquote right words because all of the right words have just become rhetoric yeah via the pandemic and and online activism and all that shit like all we did was teach a bunch of racists the words to use right to get so it, the, to get out of trouble we taught them get get, you know get out of trouble so, freak cards yeah so the the learned incapacity to me is is so much more harmful than someone who's going to say the wrong thing and when you tell them hey like this and that and they're like oh okay like let me think about this more or like i appreciate you saying that to me and even if they still arrive at like a messy place or what i deem to be messy i still have i still regard the process higher than someone who just doesn't say the fucked up thing well i am empathetic to change for example the beginning of this call I said blindsided. You're like, mm-hmm. how about sideswiped? I'm like, I didn't even fucking think of that. Mm-hmm. And why not? Like, what's what's no? Eh, I'm not gonna sweat over changing that. I mean, I might say it wrong one or two more times because it's just a part of stuff that I say. Uh, yeah. But like, it's a the language. Like, sometimes you need words to get a concept through really quickly. If you don't have a synonym, you're gonna fall back to the original word, even if it's fucked. Uh, but yeah, I like sideswipes. Like, and of course I'm going to play that in bed later being like, does Samantha hate me? Does she think I hate blind people? Should I tell her I have a blind friend? Oh my God. I just made the black <laughs> friend argument. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, but no, I, I, I'm, this gives me hope for us. I, I'm always empathetic too. Like, I know a lot of my positions are fucked. And when people like, here's a crazy one and it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. A wild one. Well, I struggle with mental illness and I have mental illness in the family. So I'm You're like, I can I can t- I can say this. One. <laughs> I can I can Jew that one. And it's not even an appropriate use of that racial epithet. But Jew's a weird one. It can be an epithet or it can be not one at all. I love that. Um, it's all proximity with that one. Yeah. And if it's like a big J, like is it capital J or is it like a soft J? Yeah. So as an adjective, 
uh, it's got to be Jewish. If it's Jew this, Jew that, it's always, as a noun, it could go either way. Like, oh, I'm a Jew. You Jew. <laughs> I, I always err on the side of Jewish folks, yeah. Jewish people. Like even, it's like, I don't, one of the things I think people really struggle with as we evolve language to be less harmful is like, oh, I have to say more words. Like, <laughs> As if you don't want to just hear yourself fucking talk. Like, just say more words. Don't just put words in as a placeholder for not saying more words. Say more words. Is yeah. that time? Yeah. No, I agree. I was at a wedding this weekend where the bride was half Chinese, half Italian. Not mm -hmm. like Catholic, you know, atheist, but Catholic. And the groom was in like a cool, hip, but orthodox Jewish rabbi. But like a cool stream of orthodoxism, whatever you call it, where like women can be rabbis, but we're still going to have fucked up. View. Look, I don't love religion, but it was and the brothers, the, the rabbi's brother was a famous comedian. And so I was like, this is every comedian's fucking dream. They've got like Italian, Chinese, Jewish, like and it's like the, the license to offend was there. And it, yeah, he just, he said, he said one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard. If I say it to you, you're, you're not going to like it. So I'm not going to say it to you. But uh, I find when, and I know that we don't agree here and I'm sure you have a good counter argument for why I'm wrong. And I would be empathetic to it, but I find when, you know, like I love Chris Rock. I love when comedians take their own groups that they're in and fucking just like the most awful jokes. But I also see how it's problematic, marginalizing. Like I see it all, but yeah, so I'm with you. I I feel like we've talked about this where it comes down to like the gaze. Yeah. Right. It's like who's who's consuming. Yep. Right. And it's like if if my DMs ever got leaked, you know, like I would be in serious trouble. Like <laughs> I'd be in very serious trouble. But it's like conversations that I have amongst my own people whether that is other black women or it is other queer people or it is other people who do gender-based violence prevention work it's like it's our prerogative within our own gaze and our own community to you know say certain things as almost like a valve right like as a valve to release the tension and the discomfort and like a lot of the like pain that is connected to it Right. And so I might not enjoy certain types of jokes happening in certain environments, but I might enjoy them in other environments. It just kind of depends who's listening, who's watching, who's perceiving. Yeah. I got sidetracked about this wedding. You were saying there was a crazy example and I was like, wild. And you're like, no, I'm part of this community. I <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about lunatic? Is that one okay? No. No? Damn. I've been using that one a lot. But, you know, I feel I'd like if, if this conversation was not being recorded, right? You know, as someone who also ha identifies as like quite mentally ill, you know, like I am mentally ill in the like, you know, tick box kind of way. Yeah. Also my lived experience. Um, you know, for us to have a conversation <laughs> that is like, you know, things that we would say, words that we would use, whatever. I think the same thing is true of sober people. It's like, there's conversations that you and I could have or that I have with sober people that um, might be like inappropriate or uncomfortable or whatever, but it's our like prerogative to, you know, use the words, have the conversation. However, this conversation is being observed. So it's like, there's things that I would not say or whatever, you know? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I, I've known crazy, the C word, <laughs> not that C word. Uh, I know, I know that one's, I just, I don't, yeah, I don't have a good alternative and, oh, I remember what my example was going to be. Um, and it has nothing to do with what we're talking about where I, okay. I kind of like don't rise to values that I know are more ethical than mine. Veganism. Okay. Like okay. When, when vegans try to make the argument, what you're doing is unethical. I'm like, correct. <laughs> And they're always so surprised, <laughs> you know, or uh, someone's like, how is it different that like you love and you would never harm a cat, but then you go and eat a chicken or eat a pig or eat a sheep, a smart, you know, which are smarter than cats. I'm like, correct. You're like, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, and <laughs> I will sit here and take it and listen to it. And I'm not going to argue with you. Mm -hmm. And I might not even eat it around you if I know it'll bother you, but then I'm going to go and keep eating it. And I'm, I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, 
On the one hand, I don't care that much. On the other hand, I think pet ownership in and of itself is kind of fucked. Trapping mm. an animal in your house to love you. We've bred these things to love us. Like, what does that say about us as a species? Like humans. We And like, so people are like, oh, the pets wouldn't live in the streets. They live longer lives within us. I'm like, you think if you go to the African wildcat or the wolves, this is the ancestors of cats and dogs, and we showed them and they could understand and conceptualize a picture of what captivity would look like. Do you think they'd take the deal? No. Right. No. You know, I don't think any African wildcat would be like, fuck no, you're not trapping me in your house and feeding me canned food, <laughs> you know? Uh, so in exchange, I'll love you. Like, no. <laughs> and, and we did, that. like, we are not a good, I'm not even, you know, I'm talking about all of us humans. <laughs> like, yeah, we, we have some fucked up things about us that, you know, uh, I don't agree with, but I do, I care that much at the end of the day. And, and if you were a vegan and an advocate for animals, and I was saying all this to you right now, you'd be like, David, and you'd give me a hundred reasons that wouldn't even let me continue what I'm saying. And you'd be right to do it, you know? I'm not. So, yeah. you know, we don't have to worry about that. Um, but my hot take is all the annoying shit vegans say is is right. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, I don't. It depends. It depends. Enough. Like any, you know, like Fair any, enough. like any of the things, sure. right? It's like, what is the what is the lens through which this is being told? Is it convenient, sure. right? I am generalizing a complete group of diverse people. I am generalizing their views. Like, what's that? <laughs> I said diverse. What did I say? No, no, no. I'm just, it's funny to me, like diverse, like saying diverse after everything we talk. Like it's, you're not wrong. It's not a piece of the word. I just There are vegans for religious reasons. There's vegans because they don't, for health reasons. There are vegans who care about animals a lot. Like it's a lot of things, you know. And there's there's hypocr hypocrisy and like paradox in everything I feel, yeah. you know, like, and at a, again, like I, I'm so disinterested at this point in like intellectual exercises about things where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to make certain choices and, and espouse certain values and ideals that I'm going to work towards. And I'm going to try to live in principle and all that. And at the end of the day, I'm still also human. Like I'm a human being and I'm flawed and I can't do everything, you know, perfectly. And also our like values and perceptions of values and principles change with our environments. So it's like for everything that we think we're like, you know, doing right and are righteous about, more will be revealed, you know, however long into the future. Like, it's just like, I think all I want from people is for them to do their best. And if their best is like really, really shit, then like, yeah, maybe I'm not going to fuck with you. But um, I don't know. Like, I listen to misogynistic music. Like, sometimes I have to listen. I have, have to, for my own whatever, listen to that. And... Am I like a hypocrite as like a feminist and someone who does gender-based violence prevention work? Yeah, okay. Like a bit, somewhat. Good. You admitted it. You fucking hypocrite. Uh, the only person who's a hypocrite is the one who doesn't admit it. How profound is that? Put it on my gravestone. I'm the first person to think of that. <laughs> um, what else? No, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm actually good to... <laughs> To end off, or unless you want to keep going, to me, this was like exactly what I want to do with this medium. I don't want right. to be like, Samantha Biddy's here. Here are the five sex advice things that you need to tell your mom while having yeah. sex with your boyfriend. I don't know. Uh, that's <laughs> you know, when you open your mouth thinking something great's going to come out, that, that's what just happened to me and, and, and nothing great came out. I just mean, it is a real conversation. This is what I want to do with this medium. Yeah, no, I, I always enjoy talking to you. You know, fuck commercial radio. I'm still decompressing, but yeah, fuck it. Yeah, yeah. Multiple truths can exist. Yeah. I made the choice to prioritize my mental health this year and to prioritize my relationships with my friends and, you know, all of that. And the outcome of that has been a lot of like lost momentum in my career and lost income and lost opportunity to do the work that I actually like love to do and like need to do to make purpose and sense out of my life. And that's just where we are, yeah. you know, like, and I, I think like we as in me as in whatever. So, you know, it's, I'm not remorseful 
And there's also consequences that I'm dealing with and navigating. And I know your situation is very different, but I, I think that there is still like, it's okay that you're still grieving a certain way of being whilst also doing something that feels really like far more authentic. Yeah. Like, I wish I could not feel guilty about time, you know, quote unquote, misspent, mm-hmm. um, you know, just more accepting of myself. But to ask me to do that would be to be anti-Semitic. So uh, you can't ask me to do that. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, being stressed out about everything? This, I mean. No, I, I can't be a witness to that joke because I'm not dating someone Jewish anymore. <laughs> that gave you privilege to laugh? I've that almost, that I've actually Absolutely. heard. No, we talked. <laughs> I've heard Miranda. She's like, at work, I said a joke that was iffy. And then I was like, my boyfriend's Jewish. And I'm like, you know, you just made the black friend argument. Like, you can't. Yeah. I've done that where I say like some fucked up homophobic shit because I like, in the world where people are homophobic, that's like not my world. And so in yeah. my world, we're post-gay. We can make jokes like this. Uh, right. That is not the world we live in. And so I always come to my rescue by saying I have a gay brother. <laughs> and if it's not enough, I'll be like, I was the best man at the wedding. And then I'm like, oh, my God, who am I? I haven't done that in a while. But, you know, it's really it's really funny how, you know, we kind of hierarchize those bonds as as being enough proximity to something. <laughs> so like gay brother is like I give that like a like that's like a like in a deck of cards um aces high that's like a 10 or like a jack like if you're not sucking a dick like if you are not actively sucking a dick or have sucked a dick like you know gay brothers like <laughs> so so if I, in in a formal context maybe around my coworkers, i could rather than saying i have a gay brother i say don't worry i've sucked a dick don't worry i've sucked a dick and it's like okay like queen yeah what's the king <laughs> you know if you're still actively sucking dicks yeah Yeah. ace is high so if i have a dick in my mouth and out of the corner of my mouth say something yeah Yeah. i say something awful and anti and homophobic anti-gay that's then i got the ace proof positive yeah (laughs) i'm not saying this is a a conundrum i find myself in regularly i just i have you ever said something that crossed the line because a world in which temporarily a world in which people cross the line and aren't and are taken seriously as if it's not a joke. It doesn't exist in that moment. And then all of a sudden that sobering thought, oh no, that that's very much the world I'm in right now. Not, no. No. Not for an extremely long time, I think because I've, I've like, you know, like because of the work I do, but as I said, in private conversation, constantly pushing the line, yeah. you know? And, 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 and again, as a means of like, release as a means and 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 with only folks who get the joke yeah and should get the joke yeah um keep in mind i was a budding beginner stand-up comedian for five years until i had the good graces to quit so like that's learning about what the line is professionally um and so learning about that line at the beginning stages you're always going to cross it If if, if if the line is curious if you're curious about the line which and is, I think too, like with comedy, it's, you know, yeah. there's, that's the house that yeah. it, it lives within. And I think, you know, the being the best man at the wedding, <laughs> that then becomes like Jack, because it's like, not only is my brother homosexual, I support him and his love partner yeah. and their public expression of love. And they know that and trust me so much that I was a representative of that love and sharing it with our community. And, you know, so it's like, Jack. What about at the bachelor party? Uh, they said they were going to be wearing negligees. They were kidding. I brought a negligee. I was the only one wearing it. And I was with seven or eight gay dudes and they kept on calling me Johnny's gay brother, uh, which is so <laughs> funny to me because my brother does not you know, stereotypical. And I know these stereotypes are problematic, but he doesn't seem gay. And I know just even saying that's fucked up, but whatever I said. We all know what you mean. We all know what the intention of that comment is. Am I still at a Jack or is that a queen? I looked good in the negligee. It's not a queen until. Damn. Yeah. I looked fine in that negligee. Right. You're like, you know, you're a cross-dresser, but. Then the Lady Gaga, they started playing Lady Gaga. I couldn't keep, the way they were dancing. I could not keep up. Well, you're also not a dancer. You're I like, I like to stand at the side of the dance yep. floor on my phone or yep. even not on my phone, just yep. staring off into the abyss, yep. um, waiting for it to be over. Like, yeah. So 
you know, you got to meet yourself where you're at. Yep. And, you know, I think the inner question is how did the negligee make you feel? You know, like, how did you feel inside? Uh, I missed having, I remember I had, before I wear boxer briefs, I wore boxers. And when I was a kid, I had silk boxers. Oh. And it brought, you know, that Ratatouille moment where the food critic eats it and it's reminded of his childhood. Right. The feeling of silk on my, on my nasty bits. Uh, and they're nasty because I should shower more. I'm not saying everyone has nasty bits. Felt good. Yeah, it felt good. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Ridiculous conversation. Uh, <laughs> Samantha, it's good to see you. Nice to see you too. I'm so glad that we scheduled a chat. I am too. You look Probably nice. You, I know you, oh. you've been talking about your ail- various injury ailments, but you look, I don't know, you look, like you have good, I don't know. You look, well, vi- vi- vitality, is that a word? You look like you're full of vitality. I, it's only because I'm talking to you. Oh. Um, I, just did a round of Botox recently and I did like a really robust skincare routine today. So I'm all like oily and acid, acided up. Um, so I appreciate the compliment. I might even go outside today. Who knows? Um, but one thing that I will say about my injury, um, that I wanted to tell you was that, so it's a knee injury that I got from softball. It's like a longstanding injury aggravated by a collision, and I, it's been like three weeks. It's supposed to heal, but I keep having rough sex and, and it like sets me back. And like, I'm not telling, like, I haven't told my like softball team that they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you're not like better. Like what's happening. I didn't tell my physio either. He's like, oh, you know, you're improving. Like, you should be improving more. And I'm like, yeah, I just like keep sitting on people's faces though. And it's aggravating my injury. Can't you use like a chair or something, you know, just sit at the chair. Like, come on. Can't you, can't you pick a rough position that doesn't aggravate the knee? No. <laughs> you know, the answer is yes. I, <laughs> my stepsister made a joke about having a dick sucking pillow, like <laughs> to like assist, but like sex and disability is like a really interesting conversation. And yep. we should definitely talk about it next time about like having, um, adapted ways of fucking or like having, um, different types of like mobility assists for sex and like how it feels, like when you're navigating it, it can like feel unsexy. Like when I'm like being moved and I'm like, ow, I like feel unsexy. Like there's like an internalized shame about not being fully mobile. Yeah. Um. So I wonder if some of that internalized shame has like motivated me to like still do the face sitting and stuff. But not that that's the rough sex part, but like just in general, I was thinking about it this morning, like, okay, there's a consistent pattern of like the day after I've been like railed that my knee hurts more. I can't tell you what to do. <laughs> but if I could tell you what to do, I'd say uh, the railing for the next three weeks, pick a position that doesn't aggravate the knee. Can you do that? Don't you want to play softball again? I'm not your parent, but I know I'm acting like one. But that, that'll be the consequences. I know, but like consequences are so hard to be aware of in moments. Yes. I think that unites us all as people. That's why we have plan B. Like, it's like, it's so yeah. hard to make. <laughs> it's a uh, capacity for self-deception. I think that unites us, right. the best of us and the worst of us, you know, mm-hmm. on the far quarters of the earth and right here. I think our capacity for self-deception, you know, every few years they find a child in the woods who, you know, was lost and then they, they don't have any language in there. They call them feral. I don't know if that's a kind word, but that's what they call them. Like, I, I still think that person and, the most sophisticated, I don't know what, and everyone in between. Mm-hmm. Self-deception, I think, yeah. There's a popular meme right now that is like, Delulu is the Salulu. Like, delusion is the solution, okay. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Delulu is the Salulu. So keep fucking however you want to fuck, and maybe you'll play baseball in 2035, Samantha. Maybe, maybe. It's like, which one is more important for my mental health? That's what I have to really sit in reflection on today. That I can't answer. I'll get back to you. But if we're talking face sitting and softball, you know what I'm going to (laughs) choose. The soup. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, man. It's like uh, I finally remember the the joke. Uh, It's like a it's, you know, it's a boomer joke. But grandpa's getting old and for his 90th birthday, whatever, they hire him a sex worker. They don't tell him. But they hire him one. So she comes to the old folks home and she's like, Mr. Old Man, whatever. Um, 
do you want some super sex? Like super, you know, and he's like, I'll take yeah. the, I'll take the soup. He's like, it's a very kind offer, <laughs> but I'll take the soup. That's, that's the street joke that I've been reaching for my whole life because that is me. <laughs> I love soup. You do. I you love do. soup. I still remember somebody got me lentil soup. Uh, and that's, that somebody was you. It was me. Very, yeah. Was that, your, was that your birthday or what was it? I, Why does it do? I do, it might have been my birthday. It was a day when I really appreciated it extra. I don't know for what reason. Probably my birthday. Mm, something was going on, and I was like, "I need to send this motherfucker some soup." And Miranda helped me coordinate, and it was all—it was a collective. It was a collective effort. Takes a village to make an idiot. I mean, I'm polyamorous. It's like how I am in my friendships. It's how I am. Like last night, I made ginger shots for my date's partner because she's like really sick, and I was like. I asked her, I was like, do you have ginger shots? She's like, no. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make some and send some home with your man. <laughs> it's just, it just, I don't know. It's just, that's how I, that's how I practice care for other people. So sending you soup, not that you weren't special. You absolutely are. Um, no, no. Feels very old world trading food for a man. You know, this is something that could have happened 15,000 years ago <laughs> as humans in the fertile crescent in, in uh, the Middle East. were just learning about agriculture. I'll trade you some, I don't know, pomegranates for your man. And it's like, yeah, sure. That's fine. It was, they were good ginger shots. Like they, I put a lot of love into them. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> um, no, it was good soup. Lentils high up in the list. And I, and you know what? You, you're very thoughtful because I had been telling, telling you that lentil, although not my favorite soup, had piqued my curiosity recently. I was very lentil curious. So it was really on point. It was like, it was, it was a soup of the time. You know, it wasn't, wasn't one of the classics, but it was something mm -hmm. you ever get food things where for a short period in your life, you're very curious about it. It may not be mm -hmm. a favorite. It may never be a favorite, but you're just kind of obsessed with it in the moment. Yeah, of course. Very thoughtful of you. Thank you. I have that with focaccia. Right. I go through like focaccia periods where I'm like, I want to try all the different kinds of focaccias. I have a temperamental relationship with eggs, which I apparently is quite common. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Very fraught relationship. One day I'm like, I've cracked the code. I'll have poached eggs every day and I'll be fine. And then after a few days of that, I'm like, these are disgusting. Uh, you know, I have not cracked the code. And then I'll get it with scrambled eggs and I'll crave them. And then the fifth time I have them, I'm like, this is rancid. Do you get that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I, I go through phases and then certain things like sick me out. Like I'll have a week where I make like bacon and eggs for dinner every night with like a particular bread and like all that. And then it's like, I don't want this in my house for six months. Like yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Loose eggs with like the goopy white on top, like over uh, sunny side up. Sometimes I'm like more goopy white. Love the goopy white. Uh, Sometimes yeah. I'm like, that is an embryo. Get it away from my face. Cook that. <laughs> I want an over medium egg. I don't want any risk of the goop. Over medium is the perfect egg. Right now like for you. But believe me, it'll change if you're like me. No, I, I feel like I have consistently my entire life been an over medium kind of person. And it's such a hard egg to perfect. And so a lot of times I will be like over easy whites cooked because then the inners are going to be yolky enough still and not overcooked because over medium by the time it gets to your table can have like cooked too much. Over hard. Yeah. And I don't, a hard egg I throw in the garbage. I'm just like. Sorry, chicken. Sorry, whatever. Everyone who plucked the, the egg, fuck this egg. I'm eating it. <laughs> uh, sorry, chicken that never was. Yeah, I sometimes like a, a fully a fully hard, like I'll take a hard boiled egg. Sometimes I'm, I'm on the hard egg. egg train. No, never. So, it's like chalk. So for mouth. you, it's how do you like your eggs over medium or fertilized? Over medium or like poached medium. I like a yolk. Like I like a yolky yolk but I need all the whites to be cooked. I can't set. any, any like, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm, mm -mm. You need set whites. I need set whites and yolky yolks. Yolky yolks. Yolky yolks. Set whites, yolky yolks. That's how Samantha mm -hmm. Biddy likes her eggs. Mm -hmm. For anyone who wants to send me breakfast since nobody fucking cares about me or takes care of me. <laughs> Your address is 123 Definitely Real Street, Toronto, <laughs> comma, Canada. <laughs> five 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 postal code okay i got nothing else all right i hope you have a good day i just reached in you know you know when you reach you're like something will come nothing nothing came <laughs> i'm good with it i hope you have a good day too thank you i'm gonna have my nap now oh and as always thank you for your time 
Thank you for your time. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. <laughs> I'll choose to believe you on that one.